Welcome to Campaign Chemistry, where we pick the brains of creative alchemists, business wizards, and marketing geniuses behind the world's greatest brands. I'm your host, Allison Weisbrot, editor of Campaign US. My guest this week is Dina Bari, Chief Marketing Officer of StockX, the resale platform that allows customers to bid on and sell products like limited edition sneakers, streetwear, and electronics. Bari, a tenured CMO at companies including Helix, Juicero, and Birchbox, joined StockX in the fall of 2019 as its first ever CMO to build brand awareness as the marketplace grows and sets its sights on global expansion. She chats about steering the marketplace through explosive e-commerce growth in the past year, pivoting to virtual events and drops, and what Gen Z really wants from brands. Hi, Dina. How are you? Hello. How are you? Good to be here, Allison. Doing well. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure. So my first question for you, for, for all of the boomers out there and maybe some of the uneducated uh, millennials like me. What exactly is StockX and how does it work? Well, StockX is the leading global marketplace for items of current culture. And we are um, for everyone, you know, for boomers, for older millennials, of course, younger millennials and um, Gen Z customers are, are a lot of our sweet spot. But really, um, this platform is for anybody who wants to partake in products of current culture, um, buyers, sellers, investors, traders. Uh, we, we love them all. And uh, some of the products that you may think of when you think of StockX include, of course, sneakers, um, but also extend well beyond sneakers, uh, apparel, handbags, electronics, collectibles, most recently art prints and comic books. So lots to choose from. Yeah. And, and the platform has kind of a unique model, right? Like you can bid on products, talk about how it works and how it's different from your typical e-commerce shopping experience. Well, it's a two-sided marketplace. So, you know, that's one of the main differences from a traditional e-commerce store. We don't hold inventory. We bring buyers and sellers together on our platform and we intermediate, meaning we stand in between the buyer and the seller on a transaction. Um, And our job is to make sure that the products uh, exchanging hands are authentic, verified. They are exactly what you think as a buyer that you're getting. Um, They are in the perfect condition um, and and that the transaction is fair, reliable, trustworthy. So so that's one of the main differences. I would say one of the other differences is this notion of, of current culture, which is a term that we sort of invented, but it really speaks to the mindset of Gen Z um, and the idea that products, physical products, um, have more meaning, you know, um, they stand for sort of what's happening in the world, what you value, what you want to say about yourself. Um, and more recently, um, they stand for great investment opportunities. I think this is a trend that we've seen, uh, certainly during the pandemic, but the idea of sneakers, collectibles, um, and other products as an asset class where, you know, you can either consume them for the sake of consuming or you can buy and sell and trade them for the sake of investing. Hmm, interesting. Um, so it's almost kind of like an eBay model. Well, 
but better. Wow. <laughs> but better, but better. All right, fair enough. Um, so I want to talk about StockX and and your marketing strategy for the company. But first, you've had a really interesting career. You've been CMO across a bunch of different verticals, from you know science and health to retail and fashion. Talk about um, you know what you've learned from from all these different verticals, and then maybe what's been consistent as a marketer. Yeah, great. So I think, you know, one of the common through lines across all those experiences that I've had uh, is these are all disruptive business models. They've all been companies that are trying to invent a new way for a consumer to interact with a certain set of products or services. And that in itself is um, sort of a discipline, right? Like figuring out how to build a value proposition, a marketing strategy um, around a disruptive technology is really interesting and challenging. And there are many, many things that I've been able to take with me from role to role. Um, another thing that's been very similar from opportunity to opportunity is um, most of them have been startups, especially in the most in the last 15 years. I've spent my career in young companies, building young companies, and that too um, requires a certain skill set around um, doing things for the first time, creating organizational structure, creating um, sort of marketing infrastructure, whether it's brand strategy or an analytics framework, kind of creating a way a way that we do things, um, and then bringing in talent and, and building teams. Um, the other thing that's been common and I, I really believe deeply in is being customer centric and really understanding the customer truths, you know, no matter what company or industry you work in, starting, I believe that starting with the customer is fundamental. Um, and so that's something that I've been able to sort of, um, even though the customer is always different and the value proposition is always different, that idea of, of listening to the customer and um, relying on kind of well-established playbook for that um, is something that's been familiar and common. The differences, of course, have to do with, you know, what's the problem you're, you're solving? Who, what does the competitive field look like? You know, in beauty, there's one set of competitors. In, you know, genomics, there's a different set of competitors. In e-commerce marketplaces, a totally different set. Um, you know, so I think really understanding what is the problem you're solving, how are you solving it uniquely, um, you know, which channels and tactics work best given that context, that's a lot of what changes from role to role. Mm, yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, what you were saying about customer centricity is where everyone's heads at these days in terms of marketing. So that's definitely a good, um, a good thing to take from, from place to place. Um, so talk about, um, you know, you just joined StockX a couple years ago, a little less than a couple years ago. Talk about why StockX, what was exciting to you about the opportunity? Well, StockX, you know, has this incredible product market fit and, um, is solving a, a real problem. So that to me is always um, the sign of something to pay attention to. I was really captured by the idea that StockX was innovating in the sneaker industry, um, at least in the beginning. That's, you know, where the company started and, you know, sort of democratizing the way that consumers could get access to these hype products, um, turning an industry on its head. The industry had been very reliant on traditional retail um, and connections, uh, limited access, 
um, all of these things which StockX said, hey, there is a better way to get consumers connected to these products. Um, and so that alone um, really caught my attention because I love businesses that use technology to solve problems in a novel uh, and disruptive way. I think beyond that, you know, the momentum that StockX had in its early years, when I, when I came in um, about two years ago, certainly the business had been validated, you know, achieved many successes and, and milestones. And, um, you know, so I had been paying attention and watching that happen um, and applauding from the sidelines. And when the opportunity came to me, I thought, how great that I can bring my marketing skill set um, brand building skill set, customer centric mindset to bear all of my deep experience in e-commerce and disruptive technologies, and then also get back into an industry that I loved. As you noted, I've, I've really, um, you know, dipped my toe into multiple industries, but my career began in footwear at Reebok, my marketing career. Um, and um, I spent many years in e-commerce and fashion, and, and that's sort of my true love. So um, I was really excited about coming full circle, taking all the things I'd learned uh, over the past 15 years, and then um, being able to return to the industry where I began. Yeah. And, and you noted that, um, you know, StockX was already already had momentum when you joined, but you are the first chief marketing officer for StockX. So talk about, you know, why the company was ready for that uh, position to come on board and why you wanted to take that opportunity. Yes. And that was, you know, the fact that I was going to be the first CMO and sort of establish the role, the, the role and, and redefine the function that was attractive to me as well. Um, but, you know, it, it was absolutely the right time in the company's life cycle. Like I said, there's incredible product market fit. There was incredible sort of brand alchemy um, based on all the wonderful content partnerships, influencer, creative work that teams had done. Um, but I think the marketing strategy was begging for more discipline, more rigor around who is the customer, what is our own brand truth, how do we inter- where do those intersect, and then how do we level up even further our content, our um, cultural marketing efforts, our creative, and also how do we build more rigor on the quantitative side, you know, new analytical frameworks, um, more channel exposure, different strategies to nurture customers through the life cycle. And beyond that, the third piece is knitting the brand side and the quantitative side together, which was not happening before. So I think, um, you know, the company had been on this amazing trajectory. There was a lot of great raw material, but there was definitely an opportunity to bring it together, apply some more rigorous thinking um, and discipline, and then allow the teams to really run faster. Yeah. So talk to us about about how you've done that. Um, I mean, what exactly, like you talked about how in your earlier positions you've come in, you've established different functions of the marketing department, stood up different processes and systems. What have you done at StockX to establish the marketing function? Yeah, I mean, a lot of the same, although there were there was a large team in place, so it wasn't a, you know, build from scratch scenario, but a lot of evaluating, well, how are we organized? What are we focused on? And are we making the best use of our resources? So as an example, um, you know, we wanted to be customer centric, but we didn't have anybody dedicated to insights. And um, so we created a function called customer experience and insights and a team whose job is to keep their ear to the ground, 
build all kinds of sort of programmatic listening so that we are really attuned to the voice of the customer and are able to glean insights, as well as to examine the customer experience from end to end and identify opportunities cross-functionally to improve. So that's one example. Another example is um, looking on the quantitative side, we were spending a decent amount of, of money on paid marketing, but we were way too lean. We didn't have the right um, analytical frameworks in place to say, are we getting the best return on that investment? Um, we didn't have the right technology stack and tracking to say, hey, a user that comes in through a certain channel, what happens downstream? And are we able to really optimize that relationship? Um, so w- the way that I solved those problems was some of which was staffing, you know, just bringing in more talent, um, some of it was technology stack and, and introducing some new tools to better um, understand what was happening and analyze the impact. Um, and some of it is just like analytical frameworks, making sure we're asking the right questions and measuring with the right KPIs. Mm. Right. And of course, shortly after you came into the role, uh, the global pandemic happened. So yeah. <laughs> that must have uh, thrown your plans a little bit. Talk about um, some of the some of the big pivots you've had to make over the past year. Like I know, you know, StockX does live events and big drops and things like that. So talk about how you've had to sort of change your plans. Yeah, I mean, we did have to make a hard pivot around anything that was in real life as every single company did, right? So whether um, it was our retail experiences or our marketing activations in real life, all of that ground to an immediate halt. Um, And yet we had a lot to say, right? And a lot to, to do with our partners and with our different campaigns. So it really created this opportunity to rethink, okay, when real life experiences are shut down, what's an alternative way to bring those to life digitally? And, you know, as a digitally native company, that actually came quite easily to us. Um, And we were able to do things like take a film screening, a film premiere that was meant to happen in an exclusive venue in LA and make that happen online and triple the access, right? So more people globally could experience this uh, film premiere. Or, um, you know, as we were rolling out new city launches, which continued despite the pandemic, we took instead of doing in-person events to commemorate the launch, we created um, a digital experience that we call excursion, where we were um, creating sort of a tour, a virtual tour of the city through the lens of cultural influencers. Um, And that, again, while it was less physically experiential, it was really interesting because it endures beyond one moment in time. And it also allows lots of people to participate in a different way. Um, So, you know, we like to seek the bright side (laughs) and look for the the gains. Um, And I think in this case, even though we lost the magic of being in real life, we did gain a lot in terms of extending these activations um, to live longer and also to touch more people. Yeah, I think that's what a lot of marketers are realizing about the power of virtual. You can have a lot more people come to your events. But I think, you know, it's interesting in in the industry you work in because a lot of fashion and and culture is about exclusivity, right? And like being there for the drop or being at the exclusive event. So how do you maintain that level of exclusivity while creating more inclusive and, and bigger events? Yeah, you know, it's funny. We don't really focus on exclusivity. I mean, you're right in that it's built into the hype cycle around products because most of these products are limited in quantity. So 
by definition, only a certain number of people can participate them upon primary release. But the whole DNA of our platform is to allow for more access, right? To allow for people who don't have the plug, they don't have the hookup, they don't live near the cool boutique, they don't know the person who's going to let them into behind the velvet rope. They too can participate um, by, you know, getting in on the secondary market action on StockX. And we sort of take that same mindset to our marketing activations. It is um, our goal, actually, as a brand to be inclusive. And that's one of the big things, you know, you were asking about some of the changes that I implemented. You know, we went through a whole um, sort of re- rebranding exercise where we rewrote the brand strategy um, and then also re um, rebranded the look and feel and a lot of that was geared towards presenting a more inclusive brand and being, um, you know, interesting to all because our customer is not just a male sneakerhead between the ages of 18 and 30, right? Like our customer is now women like me. It's now, um, you know, high school kids. It's global people in, you know, almost 200 markets. And so it's really important for us to be accessible and interesting to a broad swath of people, even though, of course, as any brand does, we need to stand, be clear on what we stand for. Mm. Um, But being exclusive is not something that we think about. Mm, Interesting. So as you, as you, um, you know, as we're sort of like getting out of the worst of the pandemic and you've, you've sort of like rethought, tried out different strategies over the past year and, and rethought the brand, like, what are you focused on now in terms of either, building your team or like what, what skill sets do you think you need? What channels are interesting to you? What's, what's sort of like the biggest focus for you in this? Yeah, we have a few kind of key imperatives. Um, you know, we are still doing work on the brand, um, replatforming, if you will, you know, of course the strategy first, we began with the customer target definition. Then we rewrote the strategy. Then we redid the look and feel. Now we're moving into a phase of developing, um, a brand, platform, creative platform that we can take to market next year. So that's going to continue um, and be a big focus for us. Um, International expansion is also a huge focus, right? We have a strong belief that this platform today, you know, we have a strong international presence, but we believe that we have even more opportunity to grow our footprint abroad. And um, that means we need to resource our teams in a way that scales for that and allows for um, sort of this mix of global strength, meaning like clear guidelines around the brand, clear best practices in certain functions and disciplines, but also local flexibility and local know-how. So really making sure that um, on the ground in a market like Tokyo or Seoul, we have um you know, people who understand what matters to that local consumer, they understand who are the influencers and the cultural um, shapers, and they have a way to connect our brand to them in a meaningful fashion. So um, that's another important direction for us. Um, also continuing to grow um, our, our emerging verticals, things like um collectibles, electronics, which are still new businesses growing very quickly and making sure that we understand how to um, support those initiatives and bring customers in as well as cross sell our existing customers into those categories. Um, And then, you know, other than that, I think we do have the right structure for the marketing team and the right sort of areas. We're going to continue to double down on customer centricity 
So things like product marketing, customer insights um, will remain areas of growth. I think, um, you know, as we scale the business, making sure we've got great bench strength um, for all of our, you know, marketing leaders in across the functions like CRM and acquisition growth. Um, And then on the on the brand side and creative and content side, again, just continuing to lean into this new strategy that we created last year and and activate against it in bigger and more interesting ways for the customer. Yeah. So as you grow your creative platform and and your global scale, are you working with agencies or do you handle marketing in-house? So we have a really amazing in-house agency, if you will, our creative and content um, and copy teams in-house are are wonderful. And they produce almost everything that you would see as a consumer um, from the StockX brand. We are going to look as we move into this sort of brand um, campaign work stream, which is a new territory for us, we will look to partner with an outside agency. Um, I believe that sometimes you just need that outside perspective to keep things fresh and challenge your assumptions and also bring in some of that bigger thinking because our teams are generating so much work day in, day out that I think it's hard sometimes for them to really pull away from that and think you know, completely differently, which is what we're looking for, for this brand work. Mm, yeah, that makes sense. Um, so I guess you, you said something earlier about um, influencers. And I, I, would, I would imagine you guys work closely with influencers, just given the nature of the business that you're in. Um, talk about how you, how you think about that and how you sort of, you know, keep your brand tied to cultural moments, whether it's sports and music and sort of apply that to your marketing strategy as this, as this, you know, culture and and fashion marketplace. Yeah, this is a huge part of who we are. You know, we, again, we sort of made up this phrase current culture, but I think it really perfectly captures the way that the consumer wants to connect with passion points and with sort of what's happening around them and what what matters um, in the worlds of music and sport and art and fashion. Um, And it's a part of our identity. It is like, you know, kind of at the center of our new brand strategy. So, um, so it's incredibly important. And actually, even before we had that catchphrase for it, it was a part of um, our foundational marketing work from day one. So, you know, our customer cares a lot about, we call them passion points. You know, again, in sport, it's, it's basketball, it's skate, it's football in Europe. Um, you know, in the world of hobbies, it's um, trading cards, it's electronics. Um, it, it includes art, it includes fashion. So if we want to be relevant to the customer beyond the transaction, then we have to um, storytell and give context to those passion points. So the way that we do that, uh, we have a team called the Cultural Marketing Team, and they're tasked with generating partnerships and relationships with individuals or companies um, that are in those spaces and that we can um, tell stories with. We don't do sponsorships. We don't do like, hey, we're going to you know, pay you a bunch of money and slap your brand on something or pay you some money and have you just do a one-off post. We really believe in these more integrated relationships where there's longitudinal opportunity to, again, tell stories, create moments. Often when we partner with personalities or influencers, it is around... Um, 
you know, it's a multi-pronged campaign. So it, it would have a product creation component where the the partner is generating product and releasing it through a DropX on our platform, which is a direct release model, you know, from the creator directly to consumers only on our platform. Um, it also will often have a social giving com- component with a cause that matters to that partner or influencer. Um, it has a content component where we're getting to know them, telling stories about who they are, how they create, what they care about. Um, and then we do also weave them through our marketing campaigns. And, and one of the more recent examples of a partnership like this is with Robert Neal, who's a, a skater based in L.A. He's like shaking up the skate world. Um, and he if, if you look um, on our social channels and through our blog, you'll see a bunch of the different activations we've done with him in, in that sort of multi-pronged way. Yeah, that's awesome. So they're really integrated into not just the campaign, but the products that are on the StockX platform. Definitely. And and I think, you know, we just we believe that consumers are they see through the more superficial relationships um, with influencers. And, and it's so it's become so prevalent now that I think it's very obvious when a, an influencer or a partner is just being paid to promote versus really partnering and standing side by side with the brand and creating meaningful content co- experiences and stories with the brand. Um, and for us, you know, we'll all day long go down the ladder path um, because it's more interesting and authentic for the consumer. Mm. Yeah. I mean, speaking of, of authenticity and, and all of these topics we're talking about, like you guys are really in the thick of Gen Z culture. And I think a lot of, you know, it's, it's always the big topic among marketers, like what's the younger generation doing? And, and I think this generation in particular is really unique for a variety of reasons. Um, what do you think marketers are getting wrong about Gen Z and how they how they shop, how they want to interact with brands? Well, I think, you know, what we've learned about Gen Z by listening and researching and studying the, this customer is that, um, you know, they they do see through the performative type of marketing. Um, so whether it's sustainability or, you know, um, standing with Black Lives Matters or any of these causes that have been kind of in the headlines over the last year plus, I think these consumers are looking for a deep, authentic, real um, commitment from brands. And that's one of the hallmarks of this generation. Like they're so values driven. They want us as brands and marketers to respect what matters to them and to put our money where our mouth is. So I think that's one thing that brands, some brands, many brands are doing that right. And some brands are doing that wrong. I think, you know, that's something to look for. Um, is how can you as a brand align with um, one of the values or a set of the values that drives this customer and really stand with them in a meaningful way? Um, <clears throat> I also think, you know, this idea of um, giving a voice to to the consumer, you know, we're not being top down in a sort of old fashioned editorial way saying, this is what you need to do. This is how it's done, right? Think about Devil Wears Prada from, you know, eons ago. That type of editorial hierarchy is really, um, I think this consumer thinks that's disrespectful, completely irrelevant, and wants to be a voice at the table, sort of creating and co-creating what um, is in vogue, what matters, what you should be participating in and, and caring about, even from a consumerism point of view. Um, and so this idea of um, 
sort of tapping the collective wisdom. It's actually one of our brand pillars, you know, like listening to what is our community and our customer base saying is important, is cool, is hype, is, you know, worthy of a price premium and taking it from them rather than us telling them top down. Um, so I think that's something else that brands, um, you know, again, many are doing it right, many are doing it wrong, but I think it's something that the consumer cares about is being included um, and being influential and at the table um, in setting trend and creating um, these waves. Yeah. So how is StockX doing those things? Well, one of, you know, one of the ways that we do that is, again, the fundamental sort of platform design, which is inclusive, which provides equal access. You know, we like to say we level the playing field. Um, when you're in our universe, in our platform, everyone has the same toolkit, right? You can see with perfect visibility, pricing history, um, you can get insights on where to place your bid or ask. Um, you can purchase. You don't have to have that hookup, that plug to get product in hand. You know, you just have to participate in, in the marketplace. Um, so that's one way. I think another way is, again, um, this idea of allowing the wisdom of the numbers of the people to surface. Um, so we'll do a lot of um Using AI surface sort of what people are interested in, what people are buying in your city, in your country, just giving people access to the data that comes from our platform um, to make informed choices and confident choices. And I think our content strategy is also um, reflective of this. Like we have, for example, a conceit called Visiting Voices where we're um, giving a platform and a microphone to underrepresented people, um, all kinds of minorities who may not have a chance to tell their stories and um, showcase their work. And um, so we are giving access on our blog for to those visiting voices to, to do those things, tell their stories, showcase their work, um, reach our community. Um, and I think that's another way that we're standing, standing for the values that matter to the Gen Z customer and kind of going toppling the conventional hierarchy and saying, look, it's more about grassroots. It's more about the underrepresented voices that have important things to say um, rather than one person in a corner office dictating trend or dictating, you know, what everyone else should be doing and following. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so given, given all of the differences with how Gen Z shops and interacts with brands, um, how do you see the resale market evolving? Um, and what do you expect to see? Where do you expect to see this place, the space go in like the next two to three years? And how might that impact fashion, luxury, et cetera? Yeah, well, I think, you know, resale is here to stay. That's that's one thing that we believe, obviously, very deeply and I think is being validated in the market. Um, I think there's also a convergence between retail and resale. And we certainly saw this during the pandemic when we saw customers beginning their journey with us, right, when retail was closed or dislocated um, during the pandemic and people were not able to go to the traditional retail channels um, to access product. They were coming to us instead. And this idea of, um, you know, a blurry line between primary and secondary resale, I think, is a trend and certainly something with Gen Z that we see. They don't care as much between, you know, 
is it a primary or secondary platform? They care about, can I get what I want and the products that represent who I am? Um, so that convergence is another trend um, that we predict. I would say continued um, globalization and internationalization. You know, we one of the really amazing things about our platform is um, it's a it's a global supply chain. So, you know, here I am sitting in Detroit and I can buy product from a seller in um you know, London or Paris or Toronto or Tokyo. And that opening up of global trading um, is something that we see as well, because like I mentioned earlier, you know, this is this is an international consumer. This is a mindset. The idea of current culture is a mindset that extends certainly um, beyond the U.S., and um, I think there's a lot to learn and exchange between these communities in different countries. Um, and then I think, you know, there's this idea of economic opportunity and, you know, not just trading product for consumption, but trading product for investing and, and for, you know, making a livelihood. During the pandemic, we saw an incredible um, increase in people turning to selling products of current culture to make income. And I think it really is a hallmark of kind of a new wave of people selling, trading, investing in these alternative assets, which is really exciting because it's definitely a big part of our original vision for StockX. Um, and then I think, you know, continued expansion beyond sneakers. We talked about apparel, we talked about electronics, collectibles, and I think this model works in so many different lanes. It's just about supply and demand, right? Like where is there limited supply and lots of demand or an imbalance, um, you know, supply in one place and demand in a totally different locale. Um, and this is where our platform is at its best. So we see a lot of continued growth um, in the emerging verticals. Do you ever see moving into uh, verticals like non-physical products? Like there's so much buzz about NFTs right now. Is that something you could see StockX dabbling in? Yeah, definitely. I think it's really well aligned with this idea of, you know, next gen investments, as we call it. Um, I think the idea of, of what we can bring to the table is kind of a super powered next gen platform for the consuming and trading of these product types and asset classes. So you could definitely imagine um, extending beyond the physical product into the more digital types. Cool. Well, I'm definitely excited to see where you take it and um, all the cool things you can you can buy and sell on StockX. But unfortunately, we're out of time. Um, thank you so much for joining me, Dina. And My pleasure. Hope we can talk soon. Yeah, same here. That's all the time we have this week. Thanks for tuning in to Campaign Chemistry, and we'll see you next time.